I haven't spoken yet about a very important friend that we all have who is constantly with us and trying to teach us only we often resist the teaching and like to get rid of that friend thinking it's an enemy this friend is called Dukkha and it is not possible to translate it into one single English word which is satisfactory you'll have to use it as Dukkha it is translated as pain, grief, lamentation and suffering and it is translated better than that into unsatisfactoriness but all of it is true and yet it's more than that it is actually a friend but most of of us think of it as an enemy when Dukkha arises we think that's terrible we think that we want to get rid of it as quickly as possible whether it's a a pain or a physical or an emotional one whether it is just an upset an anxiety or fear or whether it is irritation dislike envy jealousy resistance all of them are dukkha and we think that it should stay away and very often we also think why me? I haven't done anything other person not such wonderful people never seem to have any problems always come to me it's a wrong way of looking at it we need to see it in a quite a different light the Buddha delineated three characteristics of the universe and we are the microcosm of the macrocosm so this, these three characteristics are ours in Pali, Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta impermanence, change Dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, Anatta, corelessness, substancelessness when when our meditation comes to the point where we do not stop when we get off from the pillow but remain focused which is something we can do in a course such as this so that eventually it becomes a habit in daily life these three characteristics can be seen in everything that exists the whole of existence proclaims the Dhamma because the Dhamma is the law of nature the law of the universe most people never even take a glimpse and those that get a glimpse forget it quickly it seems to be uncomfortable it's exactly the opposite and the Buddha has said 
that if we live according to Dhamma it's exactly opposite to what people usually do it doesn't mean we have to argue with them that's what people usually do there's no argument it just all looks differently so I have already spoken about the impermanent aspect the impermanent aspect which we can see in the five heaps that we are the impermanent aspect of our physical actions and of our mental faculties all that is important to see and I've told you about using that as part of a meditative process the dukkha aspect which also belongs to this character that we are and that we have is an alternative investigation it doesn't matter which one of the three one investigates they all lead to the same point but something has got to be investigated we've got to do something if we're interested in the truth if we want to meander along on the surface of things hoping for the best dreading the worst then we don't have to investigate then we go along with the crowd everybody's hoping for the best and dreading the worst but if we want to know more than that we want to come become acquainted with a deeper and more profound truth which is the reason for meditation then we need to do some investigation although most people think that the reason for meditation is to get a bit of peace and happiness it's not they are stepping stones the reason for meditation is to see the truth that, that the truth looks entirely different from what <clears throat> the world believes and what we believe is a foregone conclusion because if what we see in the world were the truth would be pretty dreadful absolutely no escape a constant merry-go-round now dukkha is something that we all have built in within us and yet we reject it we resist it we don't like it we'd like to um, find ways and means of eliminating it totally by being a little cleverer than Dukkha nobody is cleverer than Dukkha Dukkha is a char- characteristic of the universe we can't be cleverer than the universe we are part of it we have this absurd notion that we can master the universe 
instead of realizing that we are the universe there's nothing to master if we once come to that understanding and conclusion we're going to stop resisting what we don't like about the universe and realizing we are it we are that so what do we do with this dukkha that we get well the first thing that everybody does which is the most popular um, reaction to it is blaming somebody for it the people with whom one lives they're always handy or the ones next door or outer conditions the latest fad has been one's parents must be the parents what else messed me up completely (laughs) as if it made any difference whether they did or not (laughs) we'll find somebody it might be the boss the co-workers it could be the economy the atomic bomb the Americans anything anything at all and if we can't find something handy we'll make something up why do we do that? because it satisfies satisfies our inbred hate we've got to have something to hate so when we have realized because we're intelligent people that blaming somebody for the dukkha has not eliminated the dukkha it hasn't done anything on the contrary it has reinforced it then we try some other approach we might try being sorry for ourselves well that too of course doesn't do anything because it reduces our energy to nil to really understand what's going on if we find that that doesn't work either we might even become depressed depression which usually follows not blaming another but blaming oneself which is just as absurd as blaming another blaming does not eliminate dukkha nor does it reduce it on the contrary it does exactly the opposite it produces double dukkha now we already have dukkha and now we're blaming someone or something so then we have the blame on top of the dukkha and if it's directed towards ourselves so we carry a double burden so that doesn't help either we try to justify it we talk about my problem we uh, see that something went wrong somewhere and if we're blaming ourselves we, we um, feel that uh, we're not coping Depress- depression can set in from that particularly self-hate 
we've done it all wrong and now look at all the dukkha we've got either we haven't heard about the Buddha's words or we're not paying attention if we haven't heard the Buddha's words yet it's at least excusable when we've heard them and not paying attention it's a great pity because the Buddha says quite clearly that first noble truth is that there is Dukkha as plain statement and instead of blaming anybody or ourselves or others being sorry for ourselves or being depressed we could look at that statement and say aha the Buddha said there is Dukkha so it seems to be a law of nature I've finally become aware of it until now I always thought that I wasn't quite clever enough to escape from it or maybe that I was getting in touch with people who were intent on making some dukkha for me but now I'm finally coming to this conclusion that the Buddha said it exists so at least one should rejoice one's heard the first noble truth now in conjunction with that first noble truth one's got to know the second noble truth which says quite clearly without a shadow of a doubt that there's only one cause one single cause for Dukkha now how simple can the Buddha make it for us we don't have to look around for all these scapegoats we don't have to search for any cause at all there is only one and this one cause is craving which you can translate as wanting but you can also translate it as not wanting that's also craving a craving to get rid of but suppose something in the mind which is dissatisfied and therefore either wants more or wants less and that's why the only possible translation for dukkha that we can use is unsatisfactoriness we're dissatisfied now instead of believing this and saying well yes the Buddha said so must be right he was enlightened okay and just carrying on as before getting upset when dukkha strikes trying to get rid of it as quick as possible and still finding ways and means of escaping from it one should try out whether this is true we can try this out any moment at all we don't have to be so unhappy that we're either crying or um, totally upset about something we can look inside and see whether we are happy and if we can't find happy inside then maybe we can find that little niggling feeling which says it ought to be just a little bit better life, meditation, the feeling inside 
whatever it is. It ought to be just a little bit better. Then the next step is to find out what is this it? What is it that we think should be a little bit better? Something that we want, that we haven't got. And therefore, there's not complete and utter happiness in there. What is it? And if we find what it is, if we can actually verbalize, maybe it is the meditation. It ought to be just a little bit better. Why can't I have these absorptions? They sound great. I want them. <laughs> and because I want them, I'm not satisfied because I haven't got them. So there's this niggling feeling. So maybe I can actually verbalize that. Say, aha, that moment to drop that particular want for one second only and realizing that at that moment the dukkha has disappeared for one second only doesn't matter what it is what one wants one wants the rain to stop or one wants the rain to start one wants a different bit of food or one wants to make a telephone call whatever it is or one wants to feel differently inside, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is that one wants, to drop that for a moment. At that moment of dropping it, all dukkha disappears. Naturally, the mind not being fully trained, the same want will reappear and the same dukkha will reappear. But at least, we know what we can do. We can never remove the outside dukkha. We can never remove the conditions outside which will produce dukkha. There will always be people who don't like us. There will be always be the weather that doesn't agree with us. There will always be the body that gets older and, and creakier by the minute. There will always be situations and conditions which we do not approve of that will never change it never changed during the Buddha's lifetime it never changed during Jesus' lifetime on the contrary there was turmoil in his lifetime the world is as it is but our inner life can change we can get rid of dukkha through one very simple understanding letting go of the wanting now maybe we know somebody whom we are close to and that person doesn't understand us at all and we'd really like that person to understand us well it's a cause for dukkha isn't it so drop the want it is so immediate that the dukkha disappears that one can't help but realize the genius of the Buddha's explanation and it will help us to stop our constant search for escape routes we're always trying to escape somehow or other we're going to make it if we can just think 
of a new way of doing it will manage somehow. And we can think of new ways of doing things. We're all intelligent and we all um, have imagination and uh, we all have education. So we have many ideas in our heads how we can escape Dukkha. So we try different country, different diet, different teacher, different spiritual path, different exercise, different partner. It doesn't work, does it? The same Dukkha reappears. This is what is the hides Dukkha from us, our moving away from it, trying to get into a different situation, which at first may be interesting enough to get our mind off Dukkha, but it very soon comes back to the same old thing. The outer conditions, no matter how wonderful, will never eliminate Dukkha. Dukkha is the inner yearning, this inner feeling of wanting to unite with something greater than oneself so that this niggling, small, limited self can finally expand into a totality, a universality, where the individual does no longer need that particular care and attention. Whether we verbalize it like this or not, doesn't matter. It is the inner yearning of the mind and the heart for the flight to the stars. It doesn't matter whether we know the words or not. We can't escape Dukkha by trying to do it in a worldly way. In fact, we're reinforcing it every time we move from it because it's actually our most excellent teacher. It is trying to tell us something and every time we move away from it, we're not listening. So we have to get the same lesson again. There's no greater teacher than Dukkha. If, for instance, you get sick and tired of not being able to concentrate and uh, the knees hurt and you say, well, I've had enough. And you come to the teacher and say, you know, I've had enough of this. I'm going home. The teacher will say, well, I'm very sorry about that, but uh, if you must go, go. Now, if you say that to Dukkha, you say, you know, I've had enough. I'm going home. Dukkha is going to say, well, that's fine, but I'm coming along. <laughs> We can't run away from it. We can only learn from it. And when we learn from it, we have an excellent 
pathway on the un- towards the understanding that worldly existence will never satisfy unless we see that one day we're always going to try to find that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and it's such a waste of energy and such a waste of time and yet we all go through it if one could save anybody even one minute of trying to find that pot of gold at the rain at the end of the rainbow one would be doing that person the greatest service there's nothing in the world to be found that has that brings total happiness that can bring total satisfaction all of it is limited nothing is unlimited all of it is conditioned is relying on other conditions to exist and therefore is impermanent now that needs investigation investigate it yourself is there anything to be found in worldly conditions anything the most wonderful beautiful whatever that is not limited that is not built up on other conditions and that is therefore not impermanent search for it in your mind try and find it and if you find it by all means go and get it it will be the first time in the history of humanity anybody's ever found anything worldly that has that does not fall under those three unsatisfactory conditions and because everything in the world falls under those three unsatisfactory conditions and most people in the world with the exception of very few are looking for their satisfaction in the world nobody is satisfied and because nobody is satisfied there's no peace in the world and there's no love in the world very few people there are some but very few when we see by watching dukkha in us really closely whether it's physical or mental emotional when we watch it clearly we will eventually see that the worldly aspects cannot give us that total inner satisfaction there has to be something else and if we are sure that we know that then we'll practice and if we have by that time come to a meditative state which does provide inner joy and happiness we will know that that too is conditioned that too depends on concentration and one day we will look for that which is unconditioned but that comes a little later first we have to get really acquainted with dukkha and to become acquainted with that is very easy it's a constant companion 
even when there is a very, very pleasant meditative state, surely it doesn't last. Even when we can enumerate all the good things we have in life, which we should, and be grateful for them, that little inner restlessness has not been eliminated. There's still something in there. That little bit of inner restlessness is sufficient to know that the human heart and mind can do better than what we're doing. The only trouble is that most people never find out how. Many think it can be found in creativity, in painting, music, literature. Certainly, some of that inner restlessness can be expressed, but it comes back. As any artist knows, it comes right back. While one has that creativity, it is channeled into that, but it comes right back. Restlessness is not jumping from one foot to the other. Restlessness is that one thing within which says, there must be more. And out of that, there must be more, have arisen beliefs, dogmas, rituals, all sorts of um, things that are called religion, which are mostly based on human imagination. When it's based on human experience, then it becomes the spiritual path. And when it becomes the spiritual path, Dukkha is our greatest spur. It is the one thing that can keep us going. The Buddha considered it the most important factor in human life to get all the way to liberation. We don't have to have tragedies in our lives. Most people don't get away without something happening, but some do. Having made very good karma, great tragedies don't arise. But the Buddha said, birth, decay and death are already enough to come. These are all states of arising and ceasing, nothing to grasp, all hurting. This is truly Dukkha. And as he saw those, and the story said that he saw them physically, old age, sickness and death, that's when he became convinced that he wanted to find the cure, not for old age, sickness and death, but for the dukkha which those entail. 
having been born there's no way we don't experience old we may not experience old age if we die young but we certainly experience decay or sickness and death and he said that's enough if we just know that we know already that human life is not satisfactory because those are always threatening us we like to keep our attention away from them unless they hit us so that we don't have to think about them because when we think about them we become afraid of them but surely that's no cure the Buddha did not give any relief to people that were not a total cure a very interesting aspect of that is the story of a woman who had a a small boy who was the apple of her eye Kisa Gotami was her name and when he was three years old he died and she became so distraught because it totally undermined her whole existence as wife and mother that she wouldn't accept the fact that he was dead she pretended he was just sick and with this dead little child in her arms she ran from one person to another asking and begging them for medicine for the sick child finally people became disgusted with her because she'd obviously gone out of her mind so finally somebody took pity on her and took her to the Buddha and she asked him sir can you give me a medicine for this child the Buddha said I can give you a medicine so she was overjoyed and she said yes what what is it and he said go to the nearest village and bring a handful of mustard seed and she was just about to run off in her eagerness to find this remedy for the sick child when he said but you must only bring this handful of mustard seed from a house where nobody has died so she ran off and she started at the first house and asked for the mustard seed and asked somebody had died there and of course she was told yes and so she went to the second house the third all along the village everywhere somebody had died the maid the grandfather the father some child somebody had died so finally she came to the last house again of course somebody had died and when she came back to the Buddha without the mustard seed she realized that there was no cure for death once one had been born so the Buddha could certainly have renewed life in this child as other masters have done 
to relieve this woman's suffering. But that would have been a temporary measure because eventually the child has to die anyway as an old man maybe. And the woman, the mother, wouldn't have learned anything. She would have been forever grateful to the Buddha, of course. So that's not the way he handled this or any other of those um, people's sufferings. But he showed the mother the truth. And as she saw the truth, she became reconciled to that law of nature and started practicing. Story goes that she became enlightened during that lifetime. There's no cure for dukkha once we exist. Nothing will ever be totally satisfactory. And if we're still kidding ourselves that if we just get a little bit cleverer and can fix it a little bit better, we'll have to look again and try again if that is really so. If nothing great happens to us that gives us great dukkha, we should check again and again our inner happiness or the lack of it. And again and again question why aren't we totally happy with it? And what are we doing about it? Are we still trying to find the answer within worldly conditions? And if we are still trying to find the answer within worldly conditions with other people or other experiences, let's check them out and see whether that can really eliminate Dukkha or just alleviate it for a moment. We can alleviate Dukkha for a moment. It's like taking an aspirin. If we have a toothache, we take an aspirin, but that's not going to clear the tooth, is it? Eventually, something's going to happen, have to happen to that tooth. Taking aspirins is not going to be good enough. And this is how we live. I'm not suggesting that we all take aspirins. I'm using that as a simile that Whatever we do, it's just like an aspirin. It alleviates it momentarily. One of our meditative, contemplative investigations, which are very important, to investigate whether satisfaction can be found in anything we know total satisfaction, complete peace, complete harmony within, in anything at all that we know. And we really need to do that in a meditative way because it's too easy to say, oh, I'm all right, nothing wrong with me. And most people will say that. She's right, mate. It's easy, but it's not true. And each one has to find that for him or herself. As long as we try to 
get something else other than what we've got obviously we haven't got everything and if we often want to get something other than what we have obviously there's a lot of dukkha a momentary way out is to let go of the wanting that certainly helps when there is a great deal of upset but the real cure only comes when we realize that the world doesn't offer what we're looking for the world is very has many attractions and because of these many attractions we get trapped again and again it has, it has attractions in the form of nice people interesting people supportive people spiritual people even loving people sometimes so many people must be finding somebody with whom it's going to be forever after do we really believe in the forever after? and it has so many things which we can taste, touch, smell see or hear or think about we can be busy with that all the time and some people are but we need to check within whether there is that satisfaction that complete peace if there were we wouldn't be here those people who still think that it's out there they're all out there but we've got to admit it to ourselves there's no greater teacher than Dukkha it tells us the whole story because eventually in this teaching we have to come to the point where we will see that all our endeavors will have to go towards transcending it doesn't mean growing wings and flying off into the blue yonder it means transcending the temptation that the world will satisfy us and no longer believing that anything that is built up on conditions can give us what we're really looking for even our concentration is a condition our whole life is a condition we are built up on the condition of having wanted this life and now this body has the condition of having to be fed has to have food and drink has to excrete has to have all its parts in order or in near order there are many conditions for this body to exist and the same for the mind nothing can exist by itself and because of all these conditions which we cannot keep in order because we have no jurisdiction over them Dukkha all the conditions together 
will never be a hundred percent. There's no way we can get in there and make the conditions which make us tick perfect. And once we can see that, we'll practice properly. This is the beginning then of the practice to make an end of suffering. The Buddha said, there's only one thing I teach, that suffering and its end to reach. But mind you, it's not the suffering in the world that will finish, it's the one who suffers that will finish. With that, you can ask some questions if you like. that when everything is going well well when one is in a state of um, unhappiness it isn't very hard to find Dukkha, is it? But since unhappiness is also impermanent, it's really big unhappiness, and then it goes away, then one thinks that one has done it really cleverly. One's got rid of it. Something's done well. One's got rid of the person, or one's got rid of the, the business, or one's got rid of the uh, um, overdraft or whatever it is that one got rid of. So one's been really clever and now one doesn't have to be unhappy. So that isn't quite as effective as finding that inner niggling feeling of even when things are going very well, that that can't be all there is to life. That there ought to be something greater, more impactful to see the impermanence and the dukkha entailed in things that are going well. It makes a much greater impact. And then one also doesn't become so distraught when there's dukkha when things are not going well. Because one realizes it's the underlying law of nature. It just is. Right? Anything else? Yes. Sorry? Men lost life. Mm-hmm. That's how this whole tragedy comes about. That comes what? The whole tragedy. Oh, because we love the pain. And uh, 
also very interesting and you can try this out I mean everybody can try it out let's see you have a pain huh? in, as you're talking uh, just now about a pain and it's really awful and you know it's really dukkha and uh, very unpleasant and um, one has to be nice to oneself and all the rest of it but try something else Try for one moment not wanting the pain to go away. Not wanting anything, just saying, okay, no dukkha. Just a painful feeling. Now, obviously, the mind cannot do that for half an hour. It will again and again fall into the an error of saying, ooh, I can't stand this any longer, this is too much for me. But just try it for a moment. And you will have the personal proof of the Buddha's teaching. Now, I know that you don't have any skeptical doubt, but skeptical doubt is rampant, so why not try that? It proves the teaching in one second. You have a pain in the knee? Okay, it's unpleasant. You don't like it? Drop the not wanting that pain there. Just let it be. There's no dukkha at all. It's not even pain. It's unpleasant feeling. The minute you come back and say, "Mm, can't sit like that. Really unpleasant. I wish this wouldn't always happen. Finish. Can't sit. It's It's such a simple and profound teaching and because it's so profound we need the meditation to make our minds more receptive to that profundity because it is so different from anything else that we can find otherwise so we can try it with that to see whether the Buddha spoke the truth he didn't want anyone to believe anything just wants you to try it out Anything else? 
Certainly. Who knows? I certainly don't know. Neither do I know the beginning nor do I know the end of the universe. Yes. Yes. That it's good to, to go through this. Uh, you certainly learn learn that you have aversion to pain. Yes. And if you can let go of that aversion uh, for a moment, then there is uh, only an unpleasant feeling. So it is very very helpful. Yes. Extremely helpful. It teaches one a great deal. That's quite right. And people who haven't heard much about the Buddha's teaching, and they hear about dukkha at great length, are inclined sometimes to think that the Buddha's teaching is um, a negative teaching. It's all about suffering. Why doesn't he talk about nice things? Why does he have to talk about suffering? And uh, why doesn't he um, uh, tell us all the good things that are, we can have? And they say also, when they hear about um, the uh, substancelessness of qualities, sometimes people say, oh, that's a teaching of annihilation or a nihilistic teaching. Of course, those people don't know the Buddha's teaching at all. As far as Dukkha is concerned, the reason the Buddha stresses it so much is so that we don't suffer from it. Because Dukkha is, but we don't have to suffer from it. It is the greatest gift he can give us. If we can see it for what it is, that it is constantly there in a very small or medium or large manner, that it never leaves the existence. And if we come to terms with it and do not wish to push it away, we no longer suffer. It just is. It is as if you were trying to open a door which is stuck. And you push and you push and you push. It hurts. And if you leave the door being stuck, Nothing hurts. It's just stuck. <laughs> it's trying to push against it, which hurts. So this was his gift to us, to show us that's the way it is. And the only way to get out of it is to get out of this human merry-go-round and transcend it in the mind. We'll talk about that, about that transcending another time. Anything else? I talked a bit at the beginning of the talk about trying to master the future and so trying to master the universe. Because that's 
You can't. You can't escape from the fact of dukkha, but you can stop bucking it. And once you stop bucking it, you don't suffer. Sorry? See it for what it is. See it for what it is. It is that which pervades everything because everything is constantly moving and all constant movement contains irritation. And because it all contains irritation, it can never be totally satisfactory. Sometimes dukkha becomes a little gross. You know, you get a real bellyache or somebody starts really being abusive and it becomes gross. But the fine underlying dukkha is always there. In the same way? Sorry? In the same way, sutta, any happiness that you see is also limited and impermanent. Of course. Certainly. And that's why it's more important to look at the impermanence and at the uh, underlying dukkha because of that when everything is going well. Because that's when we don't want to look. When we've got bad pains and they go away, that's marvelous. But when we've got nice things happening and they go away, we don't want to know about it. So it's more important to check out the happy time, how it fades also. And then we can see that nothing left to do except transcend it. And that's what the whole business of meditation and the Dhamma is all about. It's a path, a transcendental path. It's not just a religion, a psychology, a philosophy, a way of life. It's far more than that. It's all of those, but it's far more than that too. Well, I don't know what that, what that statement about. It doesn't make any logical sense. Why? If you see dukkha and sukha, you overcome ignorance? Why? No, the craving behind. Well, you don't crave dukkha, do you? Huh? Yeah. That's Dukkha? Why? What gave you that idea? Confusion, huh? Phil, I wish you wouldn't think so much. <laughs> Why don't you just meditate and never mind all the rest? Hmm? <laughs> a little knowledge is worse than none just forget that whole thing that's not the way it is <laughs> sorry I can't hear you 
Well, forget about what you've just been saying because it's all wrong and uh, put your attention on your inner being. What you've just been saying are things you've heard and you've repeated them wrongly and obviously not understood them. So what you really need to do, what everybody needs to do, is put their attention on their inner being. That's where the whole truth lies. You can't go wrong there. Whether you've heard anything or not makes no difference. It's all in there. Whatever you've heard and then not digested, it's going to make, a, make it much more difficult. So never mind all those things. doesn't matter. Just look inside. And then you'll know. you look inside. But if you start thinking about it, See, our thought processes just aren't, um, aren't refined enough, nobody's are, to understand the depth of absolute reality. It's an only a meditative mind that does it. The Buddha was a meditative mind. It's not a thinking process. An inner arising. So, anything else about Dukkha, yes? What about you have an object that makes give dukkha? Oh, you have an object that you're craving. No, you just give up the craving for it for a moment. By not wanting that object. Just don't want it. Surely that can be done for a second. But try it with a a pain in the knee. Don't shift. Don't stretch your legs. Sit with that pain in the knee and don't want it to go away. Just be there with it. It's fine. It just is. It's an unpleasant feeling. I have nothing against it. And do the same with that object you're craving. Everything is fine the way it is. I don't want it. Surely that it's quite clear, no? No. Of course the craving will come back, but for a moment you can let go. And then you'll see that that letting go makes all the difference. Sure. Certainly. But the mind needs to do it over and over. <laughs> you know, if you if you do it over and over, it will certainly get rid of it. But most minds don't do that over and over. <laughs> 
I mean, it's the same as with a pain in the knee, you know. You can do it, and you can do it, and you can do it, and then the mind says, all right, that's enough now. <laughs> I'm moving. <laughs> it's the same. Unless, of course, this particular craving really messes up one's life. Messes it up to the extent where it becomes so unpleasant that one's forced to do something. That's why the Buddha said, Dukkha is our best teacher. If it really messes up the life, we'll do it. We'll let go. If we can still get away with, um, with, you know, with trying to get it or trying to um, circumvent it somehow, we'll always do it. We're always trying to get away with something. It's human nature. I'm not sure about that. So, better do it. It's certainly not wasted energy from your part, because your love is never wasted. Whether they can receive it is just as um, questionable uh, as it is questionable whether the person sitting next to you can receive it. Who knows whether that person is getting anything. They might be closed up, and I don't who knows. But it's a waste, it's no waste of energy because you are giving out the love. So it, it's well, it's all right. And, um, well, loving kindness is a love without attachment. Sorry? Well, that would mean that you are attached. Is it stirring up grief? Well, so. Well, if it isn't doing it, then it ha- there's no uh, question about that. If it were to stir up grief, if we uh, give some love to some people who have died, it means that they're strong, are clinging still. So we know that about ourselves. It's good to know about ourselves. So as long as um, one gives the love, that's all that matters. Please put the attention on the breath for just a few moments. Imagine that there's bright sunlight in your heart which lights up all the crevices, looks and crannies so that no darkness can remain. And the sun from your heart gives you warmth 
and joy envelops you in a feeling of well-being of being loved Now let the sun from your heart shine on the person nearest you in this hall, bringing all your warmth and your love to that person, filling him or her with it, and surrounding him or her with it. Now let the sun from your heart shine on everyone here, filling everyone with the warmth and love from your heart, embracing everyone with the golden rays that come from your heart. Now let the sun from your heart shine on your loved ones, those that are nearest and dearest to you, embracing them within that sunshine, giving them warmth and love.
think of all your friends. Let the sun from your heart shine on them, giving them all the warmth and friendship and love that your heart has to give, filling them, surrounding them with a golden rays of the sun from your heart. Think of your neighbors, the people you work with, people you see on the street and the shops. Let the sun from your heart shine on all of them, filling them with warmth and love, surrounding them. peacefulness, this well-being. And let the sun in your heart grow and expand, shining on people near and far, bringing them love and harmony, warmth and friendship. Let it gradually grow and get bigger and bigger so that you can reach more and more people until the sun in your heart is big enough to shine of all beings everywhere.
and put your attention back on yourself. Feel the warmth and contentment that pervade you. The lovingness which is within you. Become aware of the joy and the peace that these feelings generate. Let the sun in your heart light up all the dark corners so that nothing negative can remain. Anchor the sun in your heart so that it may become one with it. May all beings find peace and happiness. 